welcome to the XC Podcast. This is Andrew Crookshank, and today we're trying something a little different. Um, as some of you may have seen, Shannon Kennedy wrote an essay on her reaction to the Mary Kane op-ed recently. She is a former OFSA champion who has now transitioned to rowing and rows out of the National Training Center in Victoria, British Columbia. Uh, so today we have hopped on the phone with her to chat a little bit more about the essay and just break down exactly what her feelings about it were and her own experiences in terms of weight shaming and uh, dealing with kind of a negative culture within the running community. So we're excited to have Shannon on the podcast today. Uh, hey, Shannon, thanks for joining me today on the podcast. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me. No problem. Um, so so for those who don't know, you just wrote a an essay for us um, about kind of your reaction to Mary Kane's op-ed. Um, and it was, it was a really well-written essay um, and really enjoyable um, to read. So we have a couple questions though about the essay and we, we just are looking to kind of expand on it a little bit, get a little bit more information. Um, so to start with my, my first kind of question is in the essay, you mentioned um, that similar to Kane, you were also a young kind of female phenom in the, the running world. Um, I'm just wondering if you can give us a little bit more context about that kind of what kind of times were you running? How young were you? That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like I said, I was, nowhere near the level of Mary Kane, of course, because she was pretty phenomenal um, at a young yeah. age. But I started running competitively when I was 11. Um, by the time I was 14, I was kind of like 212 for the 800, 58 seconds for the 400, which honestly, the young kids these days are pretty insane. It's probably pretty average now. But at the time, it was fast um, and felt like if I could be doing that when I was 14, that, yeah, so grade 9 and 10. Okay. I guess it started in grade 9 by grade 10 I was around 211 ish wow okay um and, and like on the kind of provincial national level where were you like uh, I know you won a couple OFSA championships um uh what what kind of years were those in yeah so that was also grade 9 and 10 that I won the 800 at OFSA and then I didn't really have like youth nationals back then it was just junior nationals um so that was running a couple years up for me but I'd kind of consistently be in like the top eight never was on the podium yet in those first few years. Um, but yeah, it would be in the, the A final kind of deal. Okay. Yeah. That's, uh, that's very impressive. Much better than I ever did. <laughs> um, well, it's kind of, that was my peak. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then kind of jumping forward from there in the, in the essay, you mentioned that your first stress fracture came when you were in your, your first year of university. Um, and then kind of after that, you, you experienced some real struggles with running and, and changes in your body and that kind of stuff. Um, I'm just wondering if you can elaborate on that. Yeah. So, yeah, my first stress fracture was the end of first year university. So kind of leading into the summer season. So indoors, everything was done. Um, and that kind of seemed like the tipping point. It's sort of like everything snowballed from there. Um, I hadn't actually had a major injury at that point yet in my running career. So I was about eight years in. And other than like, you know, your normal aches and pains, maybe a day or two off here or there, I hadn't ever had to take significant time away. Um, so I think it was kind of like I was running so much during those eight years, which were kind of like my formative developing years. And then it was my first time not running in eight years for probably more than four days in a row. Like prior to that, I hadn't missed maybe more than that. Um, and that sort of seemed like that was the moment that my body just kind of 
caught up with itself and it changed a lot in that first period that I spent not running and cross training with my first rest fracture. And then it's just kind of started an injury cycle from there. Yeah. You said, uh, in the essay, it was, what was it? Four stress fractures or, or seven stress fractures in, in four years, something like that. Yeah, it was seven, seven and four years. And I would kind of be on a cycle of, you know, I'd get the stress fracture, take the anywhere from six to 10 weeks, depending on how severe it was or where it was um, off of running totally. And then I would start back into a gradual process of returning to running, um, which would take, you know, another month or two to kind of get to full speed again. And just as I'm kind of getting back to full volume and full intensity I would inevitably get another stress fracture and the cycle would repeat so it's kind of like every three to six months basically I had something else going on so it made it really hard to get like a consistent base of training and perform like I might race once or twice before the next injury would hit but it wouldn't be anywhere near um what I would want to be competing at on a good day just because I hadn't had that kind of consistency okay um and we we tried honestly like I'm tried changing how like loading training was at that point, looked at like blood tests, hormones, calcium levels, bone density, running shoes. It just seemed that nothing, you know, we changed one thing and three months down the line, we'd be in the same place again. Um, so it was really hard to kind of get a handle on things. <laughs> yeah. Tough to, tough to stay motivated when uh, that keeps happening. Um, yeah. And I think then my body definitely did change a lot um, in that first stress fracture to kind of elite, like filled out a lot got stronger because I was doing different activities like biking, spending more time in the weight room, things like that. Um, and then it kind of got to the point where I felt like my body was part of the problem why I was still getting injured. And that was part of the cycle as well of trying to like battle to get back to what I perceived I needed to look like um, to be fast again. <laughs> and then that feeding into probably getting injured again and then the cycle would continue and things like that. Right. And um, you kind of, you talk a little bit about, about food and, and especially in this, this time period. Um, I'm kind of curious as to what role food played in your relationship, especially as you were trying to kind of struggle to get back into running form and running shape as you were, you were dealing with body image stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think I basically like, honestly, when I was younger, I was running, I was always so active. I had a great metabolism food was something I never really thought about. Um, like I ate healthily, but it wasn't something I thought about the amount I was eating. I just like, I was hungry. I ate kind of deal. So I was growing up. Um, and I love food always have. So it was something I never thought about. And then once I felt like I couldn't get a handle on the body composition I wanted or how I wanted to look like to run fast again, that kind of became an avenue I started going down. Um, I think part of the problem with it is that it's not like you're an average human being with a weight loss story who's, you know, not exercising or eating really terribly and they want to lose weight. There's a lot of, a lot of things that they could change to do that. Um, but when you're already training a lot and you're eating pretty healthily, you feel like you're kind of backs up against the wall. And there's not the only thing you can do to get to where you want to be is like start restricting calories. Um, so it just kind of became for me like that constant, almost like classic yo-yo effect of I'd restrict, 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 really cut out what I was allowed to eat, things like that, which all, honestly ultimately just makes you crave everything more um so i would you know get skinnier get leaner get injured again be sad about that be like then you know flip back the other way on the scale and that cycle would kind of just continue yeah that's uh that's tough i i've experienced that as well you kind of plateau to weight um when you're running you you still burn calories Mm -hmm. but uh the only other option seems to be kind of cutting back on food if you want to you want to lose the the weight in order to get faster but uh it's as you also mentioned in your um, 
your essay that just is under fueling then. Um, and you, you get into this other cycle of kind of overtraining under fueling, uh, mm-hmm. which, which typically ends in injury. Um, you, you all, you said in the essay, uh, that you believe a lot of these injuries, which, which started kind of once you hit university were the result of overtraining and kind of under fueling. Um, but, but particularly overtraining when you were younger, um, can you just talk about that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. I think the underfueling really only came in as a problem for me, probably around like stress factors four and five, um, as a, a issue of maybe why those injuries happen. But yeah, previously, like I said, started running when I was 11. That first injury was when I was around 18. So it was seven or eight years in there of pretty much running all the time. Like the coaches I had, um, during my first five years of running, didn't really believe in that <laughs> concept of taking time off, which is like so crucial to mental, physiologically, many levels of performance. Um, but it was kind of like seen as if I took time off, that was just me not being committed. So really in those eight years, I hadn't, like I said, honestly spent more than maybe four days in a row, not running during that time. Wow. Um, so that was one thing of just like constant load, but then also the side of it when I was 11 and I started, um, the group I was in didn't have, we started like we grew and developed as like a pretty big youth group after that, but I was still sort of one of my coaches, like first younger runners that they had. Um, but there's two of them and the second coach was a family friend and we kind of all thought that, you know, things were under control. So I didn't know any better to question it, but I was definitely doing like workouts that were similar to what the adult group was doing at the time. Um, it was probably just way too much, way too young. Like even, and it was weird too, like, we had probably like four days a week or five days even that we might be running intervals or like doing intensity on, um, which I remember switching coaches when I was 16 and it was like, we had two days a week with intervals and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> this is how this works. And now I know that's completely a normal way to do it, but I just had no idea when I was younger. So looking back, I think, yeah, it was just like a cumulative effect of those eight years and it all hit me at once. I remember being younger and there's other girls, that were also really fast in the younger room and being competition and like one by one, you kind of see some where things happen where they'd be injured, leave the sport, bodies would change, et cetera. And I always remember being like, ah, I'm immune to this. Like this isn't <laughs> happening to me. I haven't been injured yet. I'm still fast. All is well. Um, but it did all catch up eventually. Do you have any sense of, of what kind of mileage you were doing as a, as a kid? Like, like when you were 11 years old, that yeah, kind I was of trying thing? to think back to that the other day. Um, I think when I was like 11, the first year or something, it was probably something like, you know, 60, maybe 50 to 60 K a week, um, okay. which still for an 11 year old is probably not <laughs> necessary. Um, and then in that kind of grade eight, nine, 10 time, probably like not significantly more than that. I think it was more that the intensity was so high all the time. Um, like I was probably never at more than 70 or 80 Ks a week at that age, um, which still in hindsight, probably too much like should have been more broadly divested in other sports as well um but yeah I think a lot of it too was the intensity just doing a lot of tempos longer intervals shorter intervals all sorts of stuff like that yeah and you do mention feeling pressure from coaches uh, you know just just the kind of running culture and community in general um to kind of lean out as well and stay thin so that you can stay lighter and run faster um, I, I'm just kind of wondering what type of impact that had on you, like the, the actual weight shaming or, or even on just kind of fellow runners that you saw around there. Did you, did you see have that have much of an impact? Yeah, I think it's something that's just so inherently 
part of the culture that we don't even really notice it have. I think we are now. There's obviously a lot of conversations starting about it. Um, but it's something that's just kind of there that maybe you don't always talk about, but everyone sees it. You know, you see people you aspire to be like really fast runners um, and you look at what they look like and you're like, well, that's how I should look. <laughs> obviously, I have to be small and I have to be lean and everything to run fast. And I mean, it is inherently true. It's a body weight you're carrying your body weight sport obviously there is point that like yes there's a way to maximize your body composition to be at your ultimate best performance but I think it's this concept of more 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 like less 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 is more and it's the danger of it is that you will get faster for a period of time and it works well and then it catches up to you and crashes and burns um, and then it can be really hard to dig out of that hole but yeah I think like many of my training partners and I honestly looking back now I'd say we all had not that anyone had necessarily a full-blown eating disorder, but a lot of disordered eating practices. But because you're surrounded by people all in kind of the same position, you just think it's totally normal. Like I was doing an undergrad in kinesiology. And so like, you know, it's the same with some of my training partners. Like we were fairly educated people. <laughs> we knew about the importance of, you know, food as fuel and things like that. But you just kind of get caught up in it. Um, and you don't even realize until you're out of it how kind of flawed your thinking was. Yeah, I, I was having this conversation with someone else the other day. It's it's when you're you're in it and you're in the moment, it's hard to take a step back and realize that the things you're doing aren't actually helping you or, or even they might actually be hurting you. Um, it's it's especially especially troubling when it uh, when this kind of stuff comes from from a coach. Um, and I know it's it's a difficult conversation it's a it's a difficult topic because it's easy to jump on someone like alberto salazar and condemn him um because what he did was was fairly disgusting with mary kane Mm -hmm. um but i also remember during my running career i had a a coach who used a caliper on me like a caliper test to to check Mm -hmm. my my fat composition and stuff and you know at the time i didn't think anything of it i just thought well if i have to lean out a little i have to lean out that kind of thing but um Mm -hmm. Looking back, you realize just the, the kind of mental impact, the negative mental impact this has on you as a runner and, and how unhealthy it, it can kind of become. Um, and, and it is interesting that it almost seems similar to the the kind of Me Too movement where people are now not really accepting this anymore, the, um, mm-hmm. the kind of weight shaming. Like there's been a shift and, you know, an upset in the the power dynamic with with especially male older male coaches who are are telling younger female athletes that they have to look a certain way um i'm just kind of curious for for our final question shannon just on your um opinion on how we kind of solve the issue of weight shaming and running like whether you have any any input on that or or potential Mm -hmm. solutions yeah i think the problem really is that it's so ingrained in the culture. Like I think, you know, a lot of the coaches who are saying things like that to you, it's not, I mean, Alberto arguably is probably a bad person between this and the doping and everything around him. But, you know, most of the coaches who maybe have made comments like that, that have such an impact on people aren't bad people, nor are they trying to be aggressive or mean about things. It's just that that just seems like it's normal and it's part of how it's always been talked about. But, um, I think a lot of it is just around like changing the dynamics of the conversation. It's not that, you know, coaches and athletes shouldn't be able to talk about weight. It's a body weight sport. It is part of your performance. Um, It just needs to be changed how we're talking about it. I think a lot of 
it is is starting these conversations. This is kind of the first step of it. People starting to share their stories, you know, young girls and young males, because like you said, it's not just females who have these problems. Um, you know, hearing the stories of people who, especially when it's like the elites and the really fast people who everyone looks up to, you know, their stories with managing things like that or how they've been faster when they've been healthier or, you know, stories of the people who have lost a battle and become so injured as a result of it um, and never made it back and sharing those stories so that it's not just history continue to repeat itself. Um, but I think a lot of it is about just increasing the education and using resources that we have. Um, you know, like if it's whatever a coach is a coach, like their areas around training, they're structuring that, but, you know, having, bringing other professionals in to have the conversations about the other parts of your training. So dietitians or whether it's sports psychologists, because I think a lot of the, um, the weight shaming and the body comp factors that obviously goes back to things about anxiety and things like that. Um, so bringing in other groups to kind of manage those components of performance instead of having it all be maybe through a coach who isn't as educated in how to have that conversation or do that. Um, like, you know, even with, with weight and body composition management through the season, it's one factor of performance, right? There's so many other things you can do to be faster. Um, but it is part of performance. And I think, a lot of it is around, you know, education around periodization of it. And, you know, you might have a race weight you stay at, but that's for three weeks of the year. It's not realistic to maintain that for 12 months of the year um, or you're going to be injured or, you know, strategies from a professional level to how to healthily do that and just making it more individually, not about, well, this is a number everyone must be at to run fast. It's like, no, we all have our own bodies. Um, everyone's going to have a specific range and it is a range. It's never one number of where their ideal performance weight is. Um, so I think just making that, just increasing education to the coaches to kind of facilitate those conversations of involving other professionals, whether it's on high school level where maybe it's you create relationships with those professionals in the community to refer your athletes to, or higher up levels, those teams are probably going to be paying to have professionals part of their kind of staff type deal if you're looking at national team levels, things like that. Um, just coaches directing those conversations, noticing the warning signs. Um, for when things kind of seem to be getting off track and hopefully stopping it from there instead of letting things, like I feel like it's something we always look back at once the person has gone through the full cycle of yes, they get faster and then they crash and burn and then it's like, oh, let's do something about this now. But, you know, seeing those warning signs and acting sooner. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of it is just integrating more performance and the knowledge that we have these days. Like there's been so much great research and conversation about Red S lately. Yeah. Um, and it is, it's a time, it's like you said, it's like that Me Too topic version of running right now. I think it's it's out there and it's quite prevalent, especially with Mary Kane's story. Um, so kind of using that to continue stepping on it and build up from there and hopefully down the line having an actual effect on the running culture as a whole. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. It, it helps having um, major figures like Mary Kane kind of step forward and then Amy Yoder-Begley and, and other athletes coming mm -hmm. forward and saying this is an issue and we, we do need to address it. Um yeah, because one of one of the um, lines in your your essay that actually stood out for me was the uh, the fact that we need to teach athletes that they're more than just their their performance. That it's it's not all about the time. It's not all about the place. It's that you are still a person, a human being. Um, yeah. And you got to kind of put mental health and mental well being uh, at the forefront as well. So as uh, as we kind of watch our sport continue to grow and. Um, and as all these kind of records continue to fall with all the, the world records being broken lately, hopefully we can also 
make strides on the mental health side of the sport as well and make sure these mm-hmm. these athletes are all in a good mental state. Um, all right. Well, uh, Shannon, thank you very much for, for joining us today. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, it was a fantastic essay. Yeah, my if, pleasure. Uh, yeah, if people haven't checked it out, they should definitely read it. Um, otherwise, hopefully we'll, we'll have you back on the podcast again sometime soon. All right. Sounds good. Yeah, thanks so much for having me and putting the article out there and you guys taking on talking about this important topic as well. Um, yeah, it's been right. great. Perfect. Thanks, Shannon. If you want to hear more podcasts like this or get uh, our posts or weekly newsletter, uh, subscribe at the xc.substack.com. <laughs>